So we're back in the epistle, the letter to the Ephesians. And this week we're, in a way, picking up from where we left off. Uh, we're going to be hearing today from Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, verse 2. And I am again reading from the Common English Bible, but as always, I encourage you to hear this or follow along in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So let us hear Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, after you've gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor, because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work, using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whomever is in need. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by God for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way that God forgave you in Christ. Therefore, imitate God like dearly beloved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us, and gave himself for us. Thus ends our reading. This is the word of God for all who would hear it. Thanks be to God. Now maybe Paul is continuing to speak to the church at Ephesus about how we, how they, can live into the love that God has revealed in Jesus. And full disclosure, i got to be out up front with this. This is one of those scripture lessons that I have struggled with throughout my entire life. Both as a child who was more than likely annoying my church elders with my question asking and my boundary pushing, um, all the way to my current status as a definitely annoying my church elders question asking boundary pushing adult. But before we get too far into that, um, here's just a really quick recap of where we are in the epistle or the letter to Ephesians. Um, and I guess kind of to piggyback off of what I had just said, if there's something that makes you uncomfortable or something that you're just not quite sure about, I invite you to reach out to me directly to, to have a conversation with me. I love these tough conversations, especially those that force us to really look at and unpack our scriptures and how we have traditionally been taught to interpret them and what our current worldviews um, create for us when we're looking at these texts. So I just want to put that out there. But like I said, a quick recap of where we are. Um, as I mentioned last week, the first three chapters of Ephesians lays out the why, the, the theological argument um, for why we're called to be a church and to do that together. The writer of the letter clearly lays out the blessings that we each have received from God throughout through Jesus. And this is the why we are to be in community and communion with one another as Jesus followers. 
It's because we are to be a people united in Christ, not in spite of our identities, but because of our identities. And that identity is as a beloved child of God. The blessings we've received as God's beloveds then calls us to a life together as one people. And that identity is one we have all been given freely because of the love God has for us as was embodied in Jesus. We're one people, one people united in our baptisms to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of this world. For all you United Methodists, this is directly coming from our baptismal liturgy. Um, We are called to seek healing for our and the world's brokenness and to accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. It's a significantly powerful laundry list of things that we're called to do, and it's quite a calling. To be Jesus people or Jesus followers is not just about showing up to church on Sundays. It's an all-encompassing calling on our lives. It's something we need to practice every day and in every way. And this, this is the work of the church, beloveds. It's, this is the, the job that we're all called to do in the world. It, this is the exact work that I mentioned last week the kind that we need to empower ourselves and prepare ourselves to do. And the way we do that is by holding ourselves accountable. And we do that through building up one another and our communities, the the different spheres we inhabit. Um, And we do it using these biblical principles as guides. And accountability is something that we all can use practice with. And I am totally including myself in that because you can just ask my kids. They are really good at holding me accountable for the things that I promised to do. Um, And accountability isn't just for us as individuals. You know, the universal church, the body of Christ, as well as our own United Methodist denomination, um, we can't make ourselves immune to accountability. Um, in other words, it's, it's important that we have some real talk for a moment about holding the church. And that's the, the universal church I mentioned before, church with a capital C. Um, real talk about holding ourselves accountable. And I'm going to start by holding myself accountable right now for something that I said last week. See, last week, I dropped a phrase in my message that had some folks asking some really hard questions Um, questions of me and of the church itself. And that phrase was something along the lines of, quote, toxic theologies that promote exclusion, not inclusion, end quote. I mean, to be honest with you, it was a critique that I was offering of how sometimes the institutional church, the one that many folks argue is the reason why they're not a Christian, the organized religion, it's the reason why people maybe have quit the church or dislike Christians and Christianity as a whole. The critique that I was offering was that the theologies, the the beliefs about God and how we interpret it and teach it, um, hasn't always been great. Um, in regard to reconciling itself with a loving God, with a message of love and transformation. Um, The church hasn't always been great about practicing what it preaches. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I mean, we have some amazing and wonderful traditions and practices that are rich and full of wisdom. We have wonderful practices that guide us and inspire us to live more deeply into our identity as God's beloveds or to deepen our relationship with the divine. The trouble comes when our practice of theology, which is our understanding and our ideas about God, becomes toxic. That's the trouble. When our interpretations become legalistic or obsessed with the rules and not about the well-being of the people. The toxicity occurs when rules become more important than recognizing our own sacred worth and worthiness and that of others. And this is how the church does harm. And it's how it has done harm throughout the ages and is still doing harm. Doing harm is not what being a member of the beloved community of Christ is about. In fact, for those of us who are United Methodists, our social principles very explicitly declare that we are to do no harm. Harm is not what being a church is supposed to look like. It's not what being a Christian is supposed to be. And it's not what honoring our sacred worth as fully embodied images of God is supposed to look like. And we do it, this toxicity occurs when we preach and teach in such a way that we are promoting exclusion, not inclusion. And quite frankly, this is one of those passages that often gets interpreted or taught in a way that we tend to do harm to ourselves and to others. Now, some of you may be asking, how is that possible? I mean, this is the Bible, right? Like, how does it get used to hurt people? Well, it's been used quite often and very well. And I'm glad you asked the question. So let's look at today's text a little more closely. I'm sure we've all heard folks use these scriptures in some way, either explicitly or implicitly in our everyday lives. And, you know, let me tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Okay, now keeping in mind the text that we just read. How many of us have ever heard no offense, but and then something incredibly offensive is said? Or love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, Or how about, you know, why are you getting so upset about this? I thought you were a Christian and Christians aren't supposed to get upset. Or one of my favorites, don't go to bed angry, just ignore it and move on. These are all ways in which we have heard the principles outlined in this text used uh, in a way kind of against us. This text and many of our scriptures, if we're being honest, has been used time and time again to excuse bad behavior or to encourage folks to remain in abusive or harmful relationships, you know, situations which neither prevent harm or encourage human flourishing. Now, this is not an instruction manual on how to allow yourself to become a doormat in the name of Christianity or in the name of following Jesus. It's not an instruction manual to give someone permission to be hurtful with words in the name of truth, using the excuse of speaking the truth in love, but using it in order to manipulate, retaliate, or burn others as a way of making themselves look good and righteous. 
And it's certainly not an instruction manual on how to bury your emotions and put on a happy face to avoid conflict. Although some of us have maybe been taught that. And those of us who have been taught that, many of us have internalized it. And so this is just one of the many examples of how our sacred texts can be used in a way that has unintended and incredibly harmful consequences. So that lends to the question, do we just throw it out then? Do we ignore some or all of what the Bible has to offer or to stand for? And I say, heck no to that, because there's still wisdom in these ancient texts, even and perhaps especially in the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. I believe that oftentimes that discomfort, that weird feeling you get in the pit of your stomach, that feeling, it's, it's a spirit signal that we have some work to do. That there's some deconstructing and reconstructing, if you will, that needs to occur or maybe some reframing or at the very least, we got some questions that we need to ask that need answers. You see, the church is one of the places that I believe is where the truth must be spoken. The church should be the one place where we can open up about all of the hard and difficult truths about the world, about ourselves, about our experiences, and the one place that we can be accepted, accepted fully with that sometimes hard to believe truth that God loves us, warts and all. The truth is sometimes we need to be angry about the state of the world today. When we're faced with the realities of racism or sexism or homophobia, Christian nationalism for sure, when we have hate crimes and poverty and hunger, when we feel like we have to put signs in our yards that say, you know, no Asian hate or Black Lives Matter or no or hate has no home here. I mean, you get the picture. Like sometimes we need to be angry. And sometimes we need to stir things up in our communities to call attention to the injustices around us, especially when others would prefer we keep quiet or simmer down, you know, for the sake of keeping the peace. Oftentimes they do that not because it benefits our communities, but instead it benefits their own power and privilege if we don't speak up. Sometimes As the late Congressman Lewis would have said, getting into a good kind of trouble is the only truly Christian thing to do. Now, when I read this passage, I think that what maybe Paul is talking about in this letter is not so much about ignoring what is wrong in an effort to keep the peace, but instead they're asking us to do what is right to address the ills of the world in such a way that we do not perpetuate harm by leaving things the way they are, um, that we don't allow our anger, righteous anger though it may be, to cause us to break others down or put more hate and harm into the world, but instead get angry and do something with that that creates positivity. Now, how do we do that? How do we harness those strong feelings and need for justice, mercy, and humility in the world? Like, how do we go about that? Well, you know, we focus so much on that first half of the passage that sometimes we forget the second half. And we do it, we make this happen 
by doing what it says in the scripture, by imitating God. And we do that by living our lives with love. And that's love of neighbor, love of self, and love of God. When we incorporate love into everything that we do, and it's that holy, sacred, divine love of God that we have displayed in Jesus, we can change the world and change the world for good. But you can't do that by allowing things to remain the same in an effort to not create waves. Because that's why we're here That's why we do this church thing or this being human thing together. That's why we do it. It's it's to change the world, to transform it in love. As disciples of Christ, we are called to change the world because Christ loved us and loved us still so much so that when his human fragile body was threatened Because he would not stop preaching the message that we are worthy of a relationship with God, he didn't stop. We are called to change the world in the same way. So, beloveds, I encourage you to read these words, read these ancient texts and holy scriptures, and consider consider what makes you uncomfortable. Ask yourselves about that. And then ask how you can live God's love into the world in such a way that it transforms the world. I encourage you to ask questions. Ask questions of me. Ask questions of your church leaders, of of the world around you. Hold the church and your own people accountable, but do it in love. And when you do that, ask yourself, am I doing this in love? Or am I doing this for less than loving reasons? I encourage you to ask your own self hard questions. Again, about the things that make you uncomfortable. Is it that the thing making you uncomfortable is a problem? Or is it just that you have a problem with it because you don't understand it? Or it makes you feel weird? I challenge you to channel your energies and yes, your anger toward what is wrong in the world, and then turn it into doing good and doing it well in the name of the one who breathes life into each and every one of us. So this week, find the ways in which you can imitate God and create something beautiful in love from the chaos of the world as you know it. Together, let's explore how we can all do our part as a church and as a people to do this tough work together and to do it as one people united by baptism and in love. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen.